Amen. Oh my goodness. What an amazing day. What an amazing opportunity. Let's anchor ourselves as we live into this day, as we live into Memorial Day, but also Ascension Sunday in, in the Word of God. Would you join me? Turn, if you would, um, in your Bibles to the first chapter of Acts. So again, um, the New Testament kind of comprises the last quarter of the Bible. And if you just open three quarters of the way through there, you'll probably land somewhere in Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. And then, as we saw in the last couple of weeks, just after that incredible passage in John 21, begins a book that my Bible calls the Acts of the Apostles, but which we have reminded ourselves is really the Acts of the Holy Spirit. And we are picking up the story in Acts chapter 1. I invite you to... Uh, Take your eyes to verse 6, to verse 6. Hear the word of God, would you, from Acts chapter 1. So when they, the disciples, had come together, the disciples asked Jesus, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Oh my goodness, there's so many aspects of that question that are critical for us. But Jesus said to them, it's not for you to know, and, and our ESV translates it, the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, where they were, in all Judea, the uh, friendly area surrounding them, even Samaria, the unfriendly area surrounding that, and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, I love this because that's exactly what I would be doing. I'd be just sitting there dumbfounded watching him ascend, as they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men, the law required two to be legal witnesses, two men stood by them in white robes and said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, this one, who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. The very word of God. Now, thank you, God. Now, would you turn just briefly with me over to um, right back, the very back of the Bible. We have um, several letters. Uh, We have James. We have 1st and 2nd Peter. And then 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. Would you turn to 1st John chapter 3, 1 John, chapter 3, verse 1. See what kind of love the Father has given to us. Remember Paul's prayer last week? That your love may overflow with all kinds of experiential knowledge and, and discernment of beauty, Right? Um, that your love may overflow. Again, now John says, see what kind of love the Father has given to us 
that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. Because we shall see him as he is. Look at this last verse. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as Jesus, as he is pure. The very word of God. Now, thank you again, God. Take these words, God, and my words. I pray that they would be an acceptable offering in your sight. God, take our thoughts and our meditations. We are so easily distracted. Would you just allow us a few brief moments to encounter you here in your word? And then, God, to put into practice what you reveal. And God, we will give you the praise and we will give you the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, again, you'll remember we've been in Acts chapter 1 for the last three weeks. While they were staying with him, verse 4, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, right? And we've camped on this. But to wait for the promise of the Father. And then, lest we forget what the promise is, he said, You heard from me. For John baptized you or immersed you in water, but you will be immersed in the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So, so let that just echo in your head. The promise is just given to them powerfully. We looked at it two weeks ago, but for them it was two seconds ago, right? And so they're reacting. They're reacting to this amazing declaration, and they do it with a powerful question. With a powerful question, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Will you now restore? Now, I'm always prone to applying my circumstances to the disciples, and, and, and I'm, I'm really quick to judge them for this question, and, and you're going to hear hints of that in, in my um, message today where it sounds like I'm being critical of the disciples. Let me just say right up front, um, not at all. And in fact, it's a logical question. The question that they're asking is a really logical one. Oh gosh, there's so many, probably 15 passages in the Bible. I'm thinking right now, uh, where is the second Samuel 7 maybe, when, when um, Solomon was trying to understand God's purpose for his life. Or how about Daniel 7 we studied together where Daniel was trying to interpret these incredible promises and both of them pointed to a time when the Holy Spirit would come and the kingdom would be restored to Israel. Now, now what I hear in that is, is it will be restored in the way that I think I remember, right? You ever been prone to do that? I get, I get caught up with just a little card from 1958. It says this was the popular music in 1958. Right? This, 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 all these things happen. I'm going, holy cow, I'm getting old, right? Yeah, I know, I know. So, so I'm prone to thinking and actually remembering things better than they actually were, right? Do you see the danger in that, beloved? We long for a kingdom that is less than Jesus wants for us. We long for a time 
when, when things, we remember them as being easier, but if we were to transport ourselves back to them, we would, we would be reminded very quickly that they were tough times as well. So I don't want to be too hard on the disciples for asking this question. It was a very logical thing for them to do in light of Jesus' affirmation that the long-promised presence of God through His Holy Spirit was going to come, right? It, they, it was logical for them to ask, are you going to restore it to the way that I think I want it to be? So I want to say it wasn't wrong for them to question, right? And, and don't ever feel uh, like questioning uh, uh, the scripture or questioning what you understand God to be doing is a bad thing, right? That's very different than doubting. Questioning seeks understanding, right? Questioning is good, and if you seek truth, you will find it, right? Uh, it's different than declaring that God can't do something. It wasn't the wrong, wrong for them to question. It was just the wrong question. I'm sorry to play on words like that. It was just the wrong question. See, they were asking the question when, right? But the question is not when. It's, uh, the when plays on our vulnerability to, to time. And, I'm, and, and the scripture right here, this is the clearest um, time you see uh, God's time and our time put side by side. The scripture right here notes a difference between chronos, and you've, many of you have heard this before, chronos and kairos. Kairos, right? Kronos is, is that way that we divide up our days so that we can, can plan, so that we can understand the events that are, that are coming upon us. But Kairos is a whole different thing. Kairos is not bound by time or space. God, uh, Kairos is that moment when God intervenes in humanity, right? When God's timing uh, plays into Kronos, right? And so... So the question is not when, the question is not Kronos time from a human perspective. It's, it's, God, are you moving right now? Is something happening right here? It's Kairos. It's a time, it's time from God's perspective. And so God is saying, I am moving, but don't try and fit me into your human time. We all can think of myriad times. The older we are, the more times we can remember when when somebody predicted the Lord coming, right? And many people bought into it and actually began living into it. They lived that way, thinking that, yeah, on such and such a date, this is going to happen. I think I shared this with you before, but I just remind you again. I lived in California, and at some point in the early 80s, it was predicted, and probably because most of you Midwesterners were wishing for it, that California would fall into the ocean, right? I kid you not. People, people were buying beachfront property in Arizona, right? Isn't that funny? Like, like the world is gonna gonna divide itself perfectly on our our geopolitical boundaries, right? But but I remember that, and and people were buying into that. Uh, it's so tempting to try and put Kronos into into Kairos, it doesn't work that way. God is sovereign, right? So the question is not really when. We don't have to to worry ourselves about when, I'm going to suggest to you that the question is really twofold. Whose, whose, and how? 
What do I mean? Remember, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And they had a very clear picture of what that looked like. Most of us would call it xenophobic, right? Most of us would call it very uh, Israel-centered. We know better because we know, Genesis 12, we know that the purpose of God setting apart Israel for himself is so that all the nations could come to know him, right? The purpose of God setting you apart for himself is so that all the nations can come to know him. Think about this even in terms of your family. The purpose of God giving you your unique family is so that all the nations can come to know him. So, so the question is, is really whose kingdom are we anticipating, right? Because, because the kingdom that we anticipate is the kingdom that we build. The kingdom that we anticipate is the kingdom that we build. I can remember the very first time I, uh, I really contemplated this. It was October of 1989, and I moved to a little island across from Seattle. And, and, um, and I was an incoming student ministries director, and the church turned out uh, in droves to help us move into it was a little 1910 salt box house. It was so uh, quaint, so beautiful. They came out, and then they invited us to come see where they lived. And over the next couple of months, we went to these, these amazing little compounds, these hidden in the woods. If you were just to drive on Bainbridge Island, you wouldn't see a soul. You would never know that there, at the time there were 20,000 people living on that island. You could see about three at any one moment. But they had these gorgeous little compounds built in the woods, right? Perfectly designed, it was their kingdom on earth. And, and, and they spent a lot of energy and resources building that kingdom, right? Now, there's no judgment or condemnation. Uh, if this is the only world that we get, then knock your lights out, right? Build for this world. But... If there's something more, if there is something greater, then maybe, just maybe, we need to think about that kingdom, right? We need to prepare for that kingdom instead. And, and it's not always true, but, but it would be very easy to, for those two kingdoms to come into conflict together, right? Whose kingdom are we anticipating? Because whatever kingdom we're anticipating is the one we build. And then we flip that and to say if we find ourselves building this kingdom, then maybe we don't really understand the kingdom that is to come, right? That's why I shared that scripture from, from John with you. We need to anticipate something differently. The last few months have played murder on all my plans for taking care of myself, right? Um, all, the, all the political upheaval, the inflation, all those kinds of things have been murder on my plan. Maybe that's a good thing, right? Because maybe I'm doing the very same thing that I'm accusing the disciples of, of, of building my kingdom rather than his. But the scriptures give us another way. John says, let's put our hope in something different. Let's not hope in security in this life, right? Let's put our hope in Jesus Christ and the kingdom. I'm afraid I won't say it later, so I'm going to say it right now. The kingdom that is already here, that he already inaugurated, right? 
We're not waiting for that kingdom to come. It is here. All we're waiting for is the power to live out that kingdom instead of our own. And John said, everyone who anticipates this, everyone who, who hopes in Jesus and his kingdom purifies himself even as Jesus is pure. That's just astounding to me. I'm going to let it go because we don't have time, but, but it's just astounding to me that hope purifies Don't lose hope. Put your hope in that which is really worthy of your hope. Put your hope in Jesus and in his kingdom. See, it raises a big question for us. Are we, you and me, are we building our kingdom or are we building God's kingdom? Do you understand the question, right? We have got to look at our own lives and, and ask ourselves, whose kingdom are we building? And it raises the question that we've been answering over the last few weeks. How can you tell? How can you tell, right? Well, very simply, it's a cliche. I apologize, but it's, but it's true, right? Because I even applied this to myself yesterday, and I'm going, oh my goodness. I'm spending the bulk of my time building my kingdom, right? The question is, where do you spend your time? Where do you spend your treasure, right? And where do you spend those talents, those natural abilities, and especially the spiritual gifts that God has given you, right? How can you tell? And, and if you're still struggling, just ask somebody who knows you and loves you enough to speak truth into your life. Ask them and, and give them the freedom to speak into your life. Whose kingdom Am I building? Whose kingdom are we anticipating? But there was, there was another question there, right? How do we build uh, God's kingdom? It's a different question than how do we know whose kingdom we're building. Now we're saying, I want to build God's kingdom. How do I do that? We've seen that in Acts chapter 1 over these last few uh, weeks together. Remember, actively wait for God's I'm going to use that word we just explained, kairos. You can write in there parentheses, timing, right? Actively wait for God's moment. We just paint that picture, right? Because we ask ourselves, why didn't the Holy Spirit come right then, before Jesus ascended? We've seen the logistics of that. He was going to go to the Father and sin. But why didn't that happen right then? Why did he make them wait another Ten days. Because in God's perfect timing, something was going to happen ten days later that the disciples never put together. Upwards of a half a million to a million people were going to come to Jerusalem and they were going to witness the Holy Spirit's power coming on the disciples. We're going to get to witness that next Sunday. They were witnesses of that. Well, what do you think happened when they left, right? They went to the uttermost parts of the earth. So that Paul, who never got to Rome until nearly his death, could write a letter to the church at Rome. Why? Because disciples had already gone back to Rome and started faith communities there, right? Wow. I'm sorry. I get so excited about this. You're going, this is not such a big deal, David. But it is, right? It is. Actively await for God's perfect moment. And I know 
I don't say that flippantly. I know some of you have been waiting decades for that moment. Keep holding on. Keep hoping. Keep waiting. But in the waiting from last week, immerse yourself in prayer. Immerse yourself in God's Word, right? So easy for me with these highly produced um, uh, movies and television programs. Uh, it's so easy for me to just immerse myself, to suspend all judgment and just immerse myself in this um, experience, right? No, before we ever immerse ourselves in the things of this world, immerse ourselves in prayer in God's Word, immerse yourself in the presence of God through His Holy Spirit. So just a reminder, how do we build God's kingdom? We wait. We wait actively for God's timing, for His Kairos moment. But also from our passage today, we witness to the truth. We witness to the truth. Jesus had several job descriptions. He, he pulled them out at different times depending on the circumstances he was in. But, but in John chapter 18, he's speaking with the leaders of this world. And, and Jesus says, for this purpose I was born and for this purpose I have come into the world, right? To bear witness to the truth. To the truth. Witness, beloved, not to what's most popular, not what's politically correct. Witness to the truth that God has given you through His Word and through His presence, right? Now, now I want to play on that word for just a second because... To, to witness to it, we have to first see it, right? We have to open our eyes to what God is doing around us. Open our eyes to the things of God. Open our eyes to the truths of God. We have to, we have to be willing to witness them, right? To see them. But then, but then having seen miracles, amen? Having, having seen God clearly present His His beautiful plan for us. At some point, we have to speak to that truth. At some point, we have to speak what we know to be true. A few years ago, when I was um, when I was sharing this passage with you, I told you about that car accident that I had witnessed, where I was driving up um, Oak Hill Road, and right in front of me, a car pulls out. I think it was Aspen Street or something. Pulls out car wreck right in front of me, front row seat, seeing the whole thing. And and uh, I, I stopped. Everybody was okay. A lot of property damage. I gave him my card um, and said, if there's some way I can help out somewhere in the future, let me know, okay? Uh, and I didn't think actually about it again until months later. Months later, I got a phone call from a lawyer, which I'm a little sensitive to, right? Mufasa. <laughs> Lawyer, I'm a little sensitive to this, right? And um, and the lawyer says, I understand that you were a witness to a car accident on such and such a date. I go, yeah, 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 I was. I was right behind it. And then the lawyer says, well, well, then you know that the car in front of you was signaling that they were going to turn. And, and so it was their fault that the accident happened. And I said, no, no, uh, that, there was no signal. Um, your your car kind of pulled out in front of them. It was, it was nasty. 
And he goes, no, no, no. Your car was signaling, the car in front of you was signaling that they were going to turn. That's why the accident happened. I said, no, that's not what happened. I was there. I was tempted to say, were you there? You know? I'm, I'm real brave on the phone. Yeah, yeah. And, and, uh, and, and, and the lawyer says, thank you very much. Never heard from the lawyer again, right? Pardon me? I should have. I should have sent him a bell, right? <laughs> Got to be very careful here. Don't, don't, uh, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm up to my eyeballs and lawyers and things like that now with, uh, with my dad's estate and stuff like that. So, you know, I'm talking about I'm, lawyers is a, is, a, is a God calling, right? To do that well is a, is a God calling. But I did remind my sister uh, of what looks good on what's black and brown and looks good on a lawyer. And my, I can say this to my sister, who's a lawyer, because she has a good sense of humor. And she said, she said what? And I said, uh, a Doberman. A Doberman is good. Right? Somewhere there's a lawyer, a bunch of lawyers together. What looks good on a pastor? Right? They're asking themselves. Oh, it's any of our, any of our uh, callings, right? Uh, it's, a, it's a sacred trust to live out our callings in a way that that honors God. So that's our great invitation. My point in this long story that's gotten longer is to say, um, to witness is just to simply say what you know to be true. Right? What you know to be true. And, and for some of us now, as we think of witnessing to the resurrection of Jesus, as we think of witnessing to the, the life and death and resurrection of Jesus, then then we say, I'm, I'm not sure. And God bless you, that's okay. But seek truth. Seek it. Seek it. Don't just blandly accept things or, or casually make a decision. Jesus made an incredible promise. If you seek truth, you will find it. So seek it, even if you haven't found it yet. Let me speak to those of you who have found it for just a moment. Speak what you know to be true. I'm emphasizing that right here when I'm about to say, live what you know to be true. Because I, I've noticed in our culture, it's really easy to say, well, if I just live as I think a believer ought to do, then people are automatically going to understand everything. No, that's true in, in God's creation. If, if, if they just walk in God's creation, they will learn spiritual things. But that's not necessarily true about broken human beings. They will not automatically uh, just assimilate truth some point you're going to have to speak that truth to them. So, so the great invitation now of Jesus in our passage today is you shall be, you're going to be one way or another, shall be my witnesses. And he actually, we're not going to go into it today, but he actually gives you a plan for how to do that. Start where you are with those closest to you. Then extend that sphere of influence to Judea, to those who are still like you, but, but, uh, but are not with you, right? And then start crossing some of those lines into dark places, right? Take the truth into dark places, places where they don't necessarily believe what you believe. Ultimately, our job is to take the truth to the ends of the earth. So we have a powerful question. Whose kingdom are we building, right? And, and how are we going to do that? We are going to witness to what we know to be true. Come on up, worship team, if you would.
There's also a very powerful motivation here in this passage as well. And it seems like these two little snapshots put side by side. If you were just working your way through this biblical photo album, you would not think twice about it. But, but I think everything in God's Word is very intentional. As they were doing that, uh, they, Jesus was taken up from before them in clouds now, not of, from weather, but clouds which all through the Bible are symbolic of the glory of God. Clouds of glory took him up and he was taken from their sight. Right? He ascended to heaven. We've talked extensively about why this had to happen. Now they're getting a front row seat on it. And like me, they're just sitting there with their jaws dropping, right? And two, now we understand them to be angels, said, why are you just standing there looking into heaven? Now, you've got to imagine that this is seconds after he ascended. This is not days later. They're still standing there. This is seconds after he ascended. And the angel saying, come on. We know what we're to do. God has meaning and purpose for our life. This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way you saw him go. He's coming again. What is our great, powerful motivation? Jesus is coming again. And there are countless references in the Bible to what will happen when he does. It will be unimaginable beauty and glory for many. It will be unimaginable pain and brokenness for others. And what is standing in the gap between those two things? Us. Us. Right? Us. What is our powerful motivation? Jesus is sovereign. Where is he right this moment? Sunday school question. Where is he right this moment? Sitting at the right hand of God the Father, ruling over all of creation and interceding. Why is it escaping me? Uh, Gospel of John. Oh, it's escaping me for a second. Interceding before the Father for us. I didn't write him. Oh, it's Romans. That's why I didn't. Christ Jesus, the one who died more than that was raised, is at the right hand of God and indeed interceding for us, right? Jesus is ruling the world and interceding for us. We are his plan A. Now there's no plan B. It's us. It's us, you know. We've got to engage in God's purpose for our lives. Powerful motivation that Jesus is still large. He's in charge. And he's given us our marching orders. But also that he's coming again. And my question for you is what will he find when he comes again? What will he find? Will he find people of faith living out their calling building his kingdom or will they find people of fear building their own self-centered protections around them hoping that somehow their brief ever so short life on this earth might be as comfortable as possible will he find a timid people or will he find a transformed people people who've been changed from the inside out right Will he find an ephemeral kingdom like, like the, the, the creeks and the wadis in, in the Jerusalem desert that maybe run full for a moment, but then 
But then the moment the sun comes out, the moment the heat rises, they dry up and are nothing. Or will he find an everlasting kingdom? Will he find that kingdom that, that um, no sin can, uh, can destroy? No death can take away, right? Will he find people living for his glory in such a way that everyone they encounter sees the truth of the gospel. Here's the problem. We're not yet who we ultimately will be. We will one day be like him, but we're not there yet. We fall short. Anybody ever? Yeah. Yeah. It's not about our failures, right? It's about Jesus Christ and what he can do with one person.